Oftentimes, the second album produced by a musician or band fails to live up to the legacy established by the first. The so-called sophomore album curse is a well-documented phenomenon. Nirvana managed to buck this trend with Nevermind, their 1991 album. The album opens with what is undoubtedly the group's most popular song. The opening track and lead single is ranked number nine on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list, and it is listed on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's Songs That Shape Rock and Roll. The piece was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2017, and it won two MTV Music Awards. Hang on. It won two MTV Video Music Awards. The accolades for this song are endless from almost everyone, save for members of the band. When Cobain introduced the track to his band, bassist Chris Novoselic dismissed the basic riff as, quote, ridiculous. Cobain himself spoke poorly of the riff in interviews as well. It was such a cliched riff. It was so close to a Boston riff for the Kingsman Louie Louie. He also said, I was trying to write the ultimate pop song. I was basically trying to rip off the Pixies. I have to admit it. When I heard the Pixies for the first time, I connected with that band so heavily that I should have been in that band, or at least a Pixies cover band. We used their sense of dynamics, being soft and quiet, and then loud and hard. Despite the band's criticisms, the heavy, distorted riff, combined with the bizarre title and confusing lyrics, drew in more fans than anticipated, and essentially brought grunge into the mainstream. This legendary song title comes from a message that was scrawled onto Cobain's apartment wall by his friend Kathleen Hanna, the lead singer of Bikini Kill. That's right. From Kurt Cobain's apartment wall to radio stations all over the world for the past 28 years, we're talking Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit on Cover Me. That's right. Cover Me, the only podcast that talks about famous songs and their many cover versions, compares them against one another to find out which one is my libido. I'm your host as always, Jake Cressy, joined by my entertaining co-host. Uh, 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 Alex Mildenberger. Entertain us, Alex. Uh, uh, I didn't invite you here. <laughs> I suppose not. I suppose I invited you. It's my responsibility. Um... Alex, Alex, Nirvana, Nirvana. The year was 1991. 1991. We were both I was negative two years. Not born yet. And uh, you know, I was chilling to some, some listening to punk rock. That's what I was doing in '91. In the, <laughs> in the, uh, just a con. I was just a uh, free soul. Just drifting around and, just, and yeah, you open know, space. Um, there was a place before we were born, you know? Yeah. Someone asks, that's where I was. <laughs> oh, that's a reference to an early episode. Check out our This Must Be The Place Naive Melody uh, episode for more of that. More of that content. So, Alex, neither one of us, I think, is a big Nirvana fan. No, I wouldn't say I'm against Nirvana. I just, like, have never taken the time to listen to them, which is weird. It's it's one of those that, like, they're too popular. That I'm like, oh, obviously Nirvana. Yeah, I like I just take them for granted and then ignore them. But I'm sure, like, I'm sure they have good. Like, this is a good song. They must have other mm-hmm. good music. I've just never gotten around to it. And my time spent in '90s music is not that much. Um, yeah, it is I did like some a, Soundgarden back era. in the day, and like, oh, yeah. it's good. I like it. I like Soundgarden, but like, I just, I, I don't know. It, it's a lot of effort sometimes to listen to new music. So. I mean, yeah, especially going back, you're like, well, I gotta go back to the 90s. You're like, ugh. The 90s? Like, I was, kid, I was like, alive in the 90s. Uh, yeah. I, but 
I, I would hardly claim to know what happened. Like, oh yeah, realistically, my earliest actual memory is probably nine eleven. I, you know, I don't even remember nine eleven. My sister says we got McDonald's, but I don't remember that part. I just remember my parents waking like, me up being like, like "Hey, we a, an airplane." Family or we the nation? <laughs> what? <laughs> like oh yeah, my family. Nation. My sisters said that my mom brought us uh, McDonald's at school, so we were pretty psyched for that. Or at least she nice. was. Nice. Um, I probably was too. Your, your mom knows how to handle a fucking crisis. <laughs> yeah. See, if everyone just got McDonald's on that day, uh, a lot of a lot of war probably could have been avoided. That's what I think. Probably. Anyway, so um, this is a 9-11 podcast, conspiracy <laughs> theory podcast, um, yeah. about how Kurt Cobain did 9-11. 100%. Tell That's me, why he killed himself. Kurt Cobain do 9-11? With the amulet that made him famous? Is that the... That's the one. All right. That's the so, one. So, we don't need to just... We don't need to... You know, talk about that anymore. So, um, my connection (laughs) with this song is pretty tenuous. I vaguely recall, like, it's the melody, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, I I remember in elementary school, someone said, like, hearing someone sing that. And I don't, didn't know what it was. uh, But it kind of stuck with me to a degree. And I do think the melody is very strong in this song. Yeah. I think that's a big part of its legacy. Yeah, it's because it's simple and like it hits hard. And the thing that I always hear about Kurt Cobain is that he was not a good guitar player, but right. he was real like he had a like a profoundly strong grasp of distortion and like how to use it. And I think you can really hear that in this song how he sort of dials it in differently at different points and it kind of brings out different elements. Right. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of information on. Exactly, like, they were requesting, like, a particular producer for the song, and, like, it took them a while to actually get who they wanted, because they were working with a label, but they didn't want to, because... Right. Or they were kind of worried about that, because, you know, they didn't want to sell out. Yeah. And, and it's, like, it's so wild, the just the level of facts that are written about this song, given yeah. how this is generally, like, musically simple it is. It's, like, granular, the amount of information you can get about this. I mean, it's kind of the sort of song that people like. It's, I think it's the highest ranked song we've done yet. Like on the yeah, at least on the Rolling is. Stones' greatest songs of all time. Yeah, or uh, greatest rock and roll songs of all time. So, for that reason, like it's, it's more analyzed from a scholarly perspective. Plus, given that it was like the '90s, we're starting to get more like information laid down like where it's like we're getting close to the real mainstream internet and shit like it's easier to get information and record it true that's true yeah a lot of things are happening um so it's definitely yeah early kind of that and i'm I'm sure there's a lot more information that we don't know because there's like tons of there's tons of stuff out there on this Mm -hmm. whether it's the song or like the music video which itself i I didn't really watch it, but I remember because I used to watch like MTV a lot and they would talk about music videos, but I would never watch the music videos hardly. Yeah. And, and well, like that's, this came up. Yeah. That's there's a quote from uh, one of the production heads, I believe, head from uh, from MTV. And they said that like this song essentially was responsible for uh, giving MTV a, a whole new generation to sell to. Because it just drew so many young people in. 
Yeah. And I guess at this point, it had been around for like a decade. And I'm, I, if you remember the, the um, Black Hole Sun music video, I was mm-hmm. feeling like a lot of the artists in that early 90s grunge thing that Nirvana was a part of. Um, yeah. Maybe wouldn't have been super stoked about that kind like well yeah this song about it's... about doing a music video like as a marketing thing yeah there's so many know. pieces of this song that are like in it's almost like emblematic of like generation x but it's like it's really pitted against itself in so many ways like you you said when they're looking for this producer they're trying not to be mainstream um like this song wasn't even initially supposed to be a sort of crossover to radio hit but it fucking blew up and like some of the some of the elements of the song even hearing the like particularly Kurt Cobain talk about it like it's very clear he's got mixed feelings about it like it's it's a it's in so many ways encapsulates this weird idea of teen spirit which both like tries to rebel and tries to be great but is both like caught up in both the corporate world and like mediocrity right it's like you don't really have a choice you kind of have to go with the system to a degree mm-hmm. and and it doesn't want to but like kind of begrudgingly follows along yeah it's uh it's weird it's a very it's a weird song and it's, I, I guess it's I, like really of its time which is kind of how you make these kinds of massive hits and successes yeah and i think i read a quote that was like oh it's been called like the anthem of that generation and then another thing that it was like cobain didn't want it to be the anthem of a generation <laughs> like it, it this song hates itself by way of its creator i think and there's nothing more that smells more like teenage spirit than that sort of self-loathing even in like even in the height of greatness yeah and like particularly that kind of attitude in like the early 90s matching up with that kind of grunge concept that makes sense to me based on what i understand of it which i'll yeah, admit is, is maybe not everything but but this is it does feel like the like the apotheosis of like grunge and the and teenagerdom. Right. Of like being popular but not wanting it, but needing but it. Also, really. Yeah, yeah, but needing it because you want to be accepted, but yeah, it's And also like successful. Like they want to be a band, so they have to have some level of success, but suddenly if they achieve it, it's like, oh fuck that. We don't want mm-hmm. this. And then looking back on your own song and be like, well, it's a ripoff of these things. Like, I was just, you know, yeah, I, which I, I, is the riff storm from don't Boston. Worry, don't, don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, fascinating. Um, with that, we should, let's just jump into these lyrics. Cause yeah. Because they're going to be a fucking shit show to Yeah, it's apart. tough. There's a, you probably read the quote. There's a quote from Kurt Cobain about, like, these lyrical analyses. Yeah. Uh, he said, why in the hell does a journalist insist on coming up with a second-rate Freudian evaluation of my lyrics when 90% of the time they've transcribed them incorrectly? And, uh, <laughs> and that is one pop- of the interesting things, yeah. is that there was no complete uh, set of lyrics in the liner notes for the album. So, like, the degree to which we've all sort of agreed on what the lyrics are is... Still a bit tenuous, I think. So we don't actually know what all the correct lyrics are necessarily. Mm-hmm. Unless Dave Grohl's come out and been like, oh, it's this. What's this, guys? Didn't you know? Yeah, well, maybe. But maybe he didn't maybe. know either, because, like, he didn't write the lyrics specifically. Yeah, I think to to sort of give him the same treatment, to, again, go back to Talking Heads for some reason, 
uh, where, you know, uh, this must be the place Naive Melody is a, a, a series of non sequitur, like emotional lines. Right. Where it was centered around love. Like, this seems to bear some element of that, but about, uh, you know, like, it's, it's just kind of dirty. It just kind of gives a dirty feeling to me. Um, yeah, it definitely has a different feeling. So, yeah, I, I don't know about that, but I guess we'll go through that. We'll talk about it. I mean, he says, like, oh, well, they don't really mean anything. Um, did I say the second thing? Big pile of contradictions? No. Um, no. That's his other thing. part of the quote. He said, his own lyrics are a big pile of contradictions. They're split down the middle between very sincere opinions that I have and sarcastic opinions and feelings that I have and sarcastic and hopeful humorous rebuttals towards cliche bohemian ideals that have been exhausted for years. Yeah, that's very like. So this... he's like, there's, there's no like separation between he says between like the parts of his lyrics. Is I just say a bunch of stuff that like I'm feeling at the time, and it's not necessarily coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if you kind of take it line by line, I think you can sort of at least get an idea of, of what his thoughts are. But it's very stream of consciousness, so it's hard to yeah. take anything at face value. Hundred percent. So let's jump into verse one. Uh, load up on guns. Bring your friends. It's fun to lose and to pretend. Yep, guns. Supposedly, he occasionally changed that first line to "load up on drugs, kill your friends." Hmm. Um. Maybe that means something. Maybe he's just fucking around. Um. What does that mean? Um. I don't know. For me, this like, and I, I'm viewing it through this like '90s like anti corporate lens maybe but right like this at least this counterculture lens or it's like load up on guns bring your friends uh it seems very american to me if america's about two things it's having a bunch of guns and having a bunch of people with guns <laughs> sure yeah i mean load up on guns and like if it is this anti-corporate thing could be like kind of revolution sort of thing but yeah. also like it's fun like it's not gonna happen because we're just like it's pretending it's it's a pipe dream because mm-hmm. I don't think there was much of that positivity of like we'll we'll win against you know this corporate entity in the nineties. It was just like be defiant and do do that. Yeah, that's sort of like like a like a less uh less driven Fight Club kind of motto. I mean, that's what Fight Club grew out of. So right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's fun to lose to pretend. He brings up this idea that comes up in the second verse of attributing a positive value to negative things. It's fun to lose. And right. the next one, he talks about how he's been given this gift of being worse at things he's good at. Right. And we'll get to that. We'll um, get to that. But yeah, just that idea comes up here. And to pretend, it could be that you're pretending to have friends. It could be that this is that you're pretending to make a difference. And right. It could be the yeah. And also he, he talks about being sarcastic a lot, so he could literally just mean the opposite. It's not yeah. fun to lose. Yeah, or to pretend <laughs> you, know? you want you want to or win maybe. and have the real thing. Yeah. Maybe. Right. You want to live in reality and you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. But who knows? So, maybe he doesn't want to be successful. Yeah. It's hard to know what he wants. So in the next two lines, it's she's overboard. Spelt B O R E D, according to Genius according and Self Assured. Yeah. Oh and no, I know a dirty word. Supposedly, this is about an actual person that he. Yeah, his uh, new girlfriend, according to a like a biography, 
And so, I, I mean, that would be very specific to that relationship, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I wonder if the the line over, I could see overboard again, this '90s thing where everybody's just like disinterested, sort of checked out. Right. She, she's a state of boredom is like so, desirable. Yeah. Like you want to look bored because nothing excites you because you because mm-hmm. you're like jaded or whatever. But it's kind of just an image thing. But and particularly with keeping the pre-chorus in mind. There seems to be this like kind of playing with sounds and the idea that there are no notes, so you can't know what he actually says. So there's also this idea of she's overboard, like, you know, of a ship and self-assured, this sort of uh, bad situation, but she seems to be quite confident. Right, she's fallen in, but but she doesn't seem to care. Yeah. Maybe she's in over her head. Maybe he's worried about somebody. And then with the the oh no I know a dirty word which seem like the only way I can think of this is in reference to her, it kind of brings up this juvenile like idea of sex. Uh, like he's looking at this girl and he say he's like there's this girl this is what she's like oh no I know a dirty word like it's because it, the only people who are in panic about knowing dirty words are kids right? I guess, but it also sounds kind of sarcastic to me. Of like, yeah. someone is worried about, it and he's like, "Oh, you, oh, this is so terrible, a bad word. Mm-hmm. I said it. Wow. Oh no. Just like, you know, kind but of he didn't fun say of a bad it. word. Yeah, but <laughs> it almost sounds like it's, I don't know, or or maybe suggesting that like, self being self assured is like considered a dirty word. Hey, that rhymed. Mm, uh, maybe particularly in regards to women, word. is this some feminist lit? Maybe. Maybe it's like, Maybe. oh, now now someone being self-assured, ooh, that's a dirty word because like it, we, they're supposed to not be for whatever reason. But like, I feel like there's so much specific cultural context that I don't have here. Like, yeah, in the early it's 90s. very possible. This like you said, he says he talks in, talks in contradictions, and he just talks in how he's feeling. Like it's very stream of consciousness. Yeah. But yeah, it gives like it, the the first verse to me is, just feels like pure grunge. I could say that about any part of the song, but it mm-hmm. has that sort of dirty feel. So then we move into the pre-chorus where he says, "Hello, hello, hello, how low?" Or perhaps hollow. Hollow. Yes, kind of sounds like that too. Hmm. Um. I mean, depression was a big part of his life. I assume. Oh, yeah. So talking about like feeling low would make sense in that context. Mm-hmm. And sort of like a how low can, can you go, go on a personal level? Again, taking in that sort of like counterculture, like how low can we go as a society? How um, low? And the, 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 if it's hollow, again, that's a, a depression kind of feeling, feeling hollow. And and in terms of uh, like what the chorus brings to light, this idea of demanding entertainment, it's he can you can kind of see in that pre-chorus he feels the demands of the audience on him, maybe. Right. So they everyone's saying hello to him, and like mm-hmm. I don't know, trying to drag him down to their level. That's just a random some random bullshit. Yeah, just kind of like, like, and like it brings him down. Like all of these faces being like, hello, hello, hello. And he's, he's just in his head, he's like, how low? Like, how low is he? Fucking energy. How or low that indeed? like it's hollow feeling. Like with the mm-hmm. hollow, uh, we talked about um, Neil Peart 
several episodes ago and like That's how right. he wasn't really into interact like he couldn't pretend to be this pop star that is like talking to everybody and and super personable so i imagine that there's some because like it didn't feel like a personal connection sort of thing so there's like a hollowness to the relationship between the artist and the audience mm-hmm. kind of a deal yeah and again but there's like so little for us to go on here yeah absolutely it's um, all very vague and probably unspecific yes yeah, so and we go to the chorus with the lights out it's less dangerous here we are now entertain us yeah so this is kind of like an opposite thing because like with the lights out usually with the lights out it's more dangerous but for yeah. some reason, he's either sarcastically saying it's less dangerous or mm-hmm. suggesting that when the lights, which are probably metaphor, are out, it has become less dangerous because he feels more comfortable or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, with the lights, and now you got me thinking limelight. When the limelight's out, he's not. That too. sees him. So less dangerous. He, he's less dangerous because people can't find him. Yeah. Hmm. How about that? Making connections. But then, then comes the demand. Here we are now. Entertain us. Which I always thought until we listened to it this week. I always thought I said, "Here we are now, entertainers." Yeah, I never really knew. And like I mentioned, this was the the first line of this song I ever heard because I heard someone singing it. I have this vague memory of someone in elementary school, way back, singing this line and just being like, "What's that from? What is that?" Mm-hmm. Like just being kind of fascinated by it. And like, but then sort of forgetting about it, and and then eventually like learning this song is this, and then kind of making that connection, but still not really understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of an interesting line, and supposedly it comes from something the band, or at least Kurt, would do yeah, is like they parties, they go to parties and be like, "All right, are we just gonna sit here? Like, this is your party, entertain us." Like, yeah. But I guess as entertainers, you're maybe more likely to expect other people to be able to entertain. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then, yeah, I just like I'm thinking of it in terms of like going to a concert. You know, all these fucking people show up, and it's like, well, we're here, F- fucking play music. Let's go, let's do it. And we then we it. go to the the next lines. I feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now. Entertain us. Um, there's that view of the masses that's very popular in the '90s, which I I feel like this evokes. You know, wake up, sheeple. Like, right. Well, supposedly that was the original name of the album, was Sheep. Sheep. Oh, well, that checks right the fuck out then, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Although this song, I think, was written much later. I don't know if the album had been, um, the album name had been decided by then. Yeah, I wonder. Because this line, this song does have the line that is the album title, and it was the lead single, so it would have come out in advance of the album. Yeah. So... Although supposedly it was recorded late in the process, I think. Yeah. But uh, anyway, something else to chew on. But stupid and contagious. There's this idea that that people always have that all like the stupidity is spreading. All these stupid people running about. There's so much more of them now. Right, it's it spreads. Like, it's like yeah, I guess. It's also we're just more able to identify stupid yeah. people these days. And he feels like he's maybe part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Like he's causing these people like because they're kind of following him. And he's like, now I am leading a group of right. people and they're following me. And like what responsibility, like, I feel like I'm doing this, like something's wrong. 
doesn't necessarily right. like take responsibility or or say that he needs to take responsibility or something like that but he does say like something seems to be happening okay now i'm finally understanding this genius quote where they say this relates to his feelings about his daughter um, right yeah so he feels stupid and contagious because in this this quote of his he's worried about his uh he describes himself as a miserable self-destructive death rocker and he doesn't want his daughter to become that right because so he feels stupid and contagious he's worried that his uh, mindset will spread which i mean eh, it was the 90s everyone kind of was like that yeah we got and- over it yeah, I kind of got over it, and but uh, nonetheless, even with his him telling these people straight up shouting it, I feel stupid, contagious. They, in response, just say, "Here we are now, entertain us." Right, right, and he's like, "What are my responsibilities in this situation?" And they're like, "We have fun." Yeah, play song. Make us have fun. Based on how um, it's presented so in this song. Yeah, so we're gonna come to the next line here. Just a just a quick heads up. We're about to use a an outdated term. Yes, for, I uh, honestly people of mixed race. I don't know if it's offensive specifically. I it I know it's outdated. It's, it's not like 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 hard offensive, but yeah. like you would not use it in polite conversation. No, no. It's um just... yeah, so the term is mulatto. We're going to say it this once. Uh it's uh mixed race, uh European and African, white and black. Uh We'll try to avoid that for the rest of it, just to just to keep it clean. But yeah, yeah, so that's the opening line. That an albino, a mosquito, my libido. Which I don't know. This like just listening to it just sounds like a bunch of words that rhymed. But then the first two kind of seem related because they're like related to skin color. Yeah, but that's. Yeah. I wouldn't call them necessarily like it's not like you're saying like super dark, super light. Like it's not like it's opposites or anything like that. No. I kind of viewed it and it's weird that he chooses to to use skin color, I guess, but like outcasts. Right. Um and I think both crowds may have been, you know, viewed as freaks, which were often we are, you know, freak shows. We right, made in people their who day, were different entertain us, right? Well, to a degree. To a degree. In all I, I, in in a lot of time periods. Yeah. But yes. Then we get a mosquito in my libido. Which sounds more like just rhyming words. Now the, the I I would not have picked up on this. Um but uh this is just taken from the genius annotation. I apparently these are all names for cocktails. Yeah, apparently. So whatever that means here, just like entertain us, we're drinking and having sex, I guess. I'm assuming. Right. So it's just part of the like, uh, what is it? The working class hero, uh, John Lennon, the like, they blind you with sex and drugs and TV or something like that. Right. So Kinda yeah, lame. it's, that uh, it makes sense. And you think about concerts and that was, is he, like a lot of people like they go get drunk and they get horny, go get drunk, get sweaty. <laughs> get, yeah. Drunk, sweaty and horny. And then it's, you're not you're not even there really for the music. You're you're there for the the end result, right? Right. Right. It's like it's like a means to an end. Yeah, the music is kind of secondary to just like the atmosphere and the whatever comes next. 
So yeah, that could be it. I uh, otherwise, I really don't know how to do this unless he's saying that. Cause the only only thing I could think of between mosquito and libido is that mosquito, you know, draws the blood out of you, and you, you need a blood to pop a boner, my man. <laughs> you need you need that dick blood. You gotta get that dick blood. So is a mosquito my libido saying like this is sucking the 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 go juice out of me? <laughs> My go juice is gone. <laughs> you got no fucking go juice. Sorry, man. I'm out of go juice. Maybe. I mean, that's it's all like pretty big leaps in logic. Yeah. I think. Because it might literally just be a bunch of words that rhyme and sound vaguely evocative. Like even yeah, in could be. even in the '90s, it probably wasn't super normal to say mulatto. No, <laughs> but I honestly not. don't know. The only time I've ever heard it used is like one episode of Archer. Yeah. And I think he might have even been talking about a drink. I don't recall. No, I'm pretty sure they used it to to talk to Lana because he's trying to figure out what, you know, old timey racist term basically to call her. Okay. All right. Anyway. So, yeah, it 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 does sound it is like probably then like intentionally what's the word i'm looking for provocative provocative gets the people going because like albino and mosquito whatever like your first your first and last one you're like oh what he just said libido in a song in the 90s yeah was that still like was that still that, like probably oh less my. maybe not <laughs> I just always assumed the past was like fanning themselves over everything. Uh, yeah, <laughs> anything. Like, about, oh, goodness uh, me! B- before two thousand, <laughs> it's just fucking Victorian era. <laughs> yeah, even though I was alive for some of it. Um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember having my fan and being like, "Oh, that man said shit." Oh, oh, oh lord! Goodness me! That's kind of somebody get the uh, smelling salts. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling faint. That's kind of how I was as a kid, though. I was like, "Oh my god, they swore." I mean, that was yeah, me for a long time. But my family was pretty hard like swearing, trying to find the non-emergency number for like someone wrote. I remember someone like graffitied my elementary school, and someone was like, "They wrote the b word," and I was like, "What's the b word?" (laughs) (laughs) Sounds bad. I honestly don't remember what it was because there's technically two. Two. They probably it was probably bitch. I I feel like bitch. Let's face it. it, it. It's, this it's, isn't you know the 1600s. No one really cares that much the about wall. the word bastard. No. The only times we use bastard are in anime dubs. That's right. I, Shout I, out to anime and dubs. and like <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> but that's like I mean kind of derogatory in that, but also like sometimes just very literal of like yeah, they're bastard. That's what they are. Yeah. That's the word we have that describes that. Anyway. Moving yeah, well, on. Anyway, when, I, when, I, when I read that chorus, it draws to mind really what the music video presents. This sort of dirty, grungy concert in a school hall. Right. The like, kind it's of a, like quasi-pep rally thing. Yeah. So here's the most important lines coming up here in the post-chorus. He says, yeah, hey, yay. What's going on there? Well, if you recall, uh, from the... Final Queen album, uh, Made in Heaven, which was actually released shortly before this, shockingly shortly, in the 90s. Um, there's one track that is only a couple seconds long, and he just says, yeah. Think about that. 
So he's talking about the joy of the return of Freddie Mercury, if, even for a moment. Even for a moment. So, so, yeah. so yeah refers to the moment he's talking about. And it, hey is being like, oh, that's Freddie Mercury. And then, yay. As in, we like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> in, you know what? Yeah, this is a positive thing. <laughs> this is a positive thing. An expression of joy. Yeah, yeah, I buy it. Yep. Come to verse two. I'm worse at what I do best. And for this gift, I feel blessed. Alex is worse in reference to like his skills at what he is doing best are deteriorating, or that in comparison to others he is worse. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I took part of this from the genius notation because I thought it was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, one possible uh, approach: uh, the concept of like as you get better at something, you become more educated about it. You realize how much more you don't know, and you start to learn right. kind of more about what you don't know than what you do, and start to feel like you're not as good like if you know a little bit about something you feel like you know a lot and then because you don't know what you don't know and then once you learn what you don't know or how much how deep the rabbit hole goes kind of thing then you start to feel like oh i'm actually not that great at this so as you get better you feel worse but you're getting better so like i still feels grateful because he is getting better but you still get this sense of getting worse before you get better Mm, yeah because there's that inflated sense of confidence you get once you once you're at like a just above beginner level in yeah. any sort of field of interest, right? Yeah. And yeah. So the loss of that as you discover what you really know in comparison to what like can be known. Right. Is a good thing. And you're you're getting better. Your skills are improving, but at the same time, it doesn't feel as good. Yeah, it fucking sucks. It's an awful feeling. <laughs> so and yeah, that, I guess that's, that's one what... approach. I, I don't know if that's like the thing necessarily but um and also you mentioned like he's not known as like an amazing guitar player mm-hmm. so he's a guitar player but he's not like that great at it but he considers it maybe what he does best yeah something like that yeah so yeah because what he does is he sings he he plays guitar and he he writes lyrics so i mean he's clearly not the best like technical guitar player or technical singer and uh i mean lyricism is up to debate for any <laughs> artist i can't sure. place sure. him high or low but yeah no i think that that skill description is kind of the best i think that fits the lines pretty well and for this gift i feel blessed because in the sense he knows that it's technically a positive thing maybe and then but like Again, sarcastically, he's like, oh, it feels great to know I fucking suck at things I thought I was pretty good at. Yeah. So, cool. So cool. Um, um, then we popped our little group has always been and always will until the end. That, I'm a, I mean, this seems so much more straightforward than the rest of the song that I'm, like, second-guessing myself. Like, is there more there kind of thing? Uh-huh. Cause like it seems like this band of brothers outlook of what it means to be a rock and roll band kind of thing. Right. Like this is our group and like it's always it's always been this and always will be. And maybe a little sarcastic because they were like switching out drummers a lot. I think mm. before they got like Dave Grohl on board. Yeah. They had a cup they had at least one other drummer. I think possibly. Yeah, because Dave Grohl wasn't the original. No, but I think this was his first album with I mean this is their second album, but this was when he like joined up. So it might have been yeah. related to that. I don't know. That's a pr- pretty good I I always I was thinking maybe some kind of sinister like 
because again, I'm thinking of big organizations and how they're sort of, you know, almost like cloistered off, incestuous. Like our little group has always been and always will until the end. It kind of speaks to the American ideal of like, oh, America will always prevail, or even like the like the church, which I think would have probably been big targets for Kurt. Just a guess. I guess something a little bit more broad than like a band. Hmm. But like this idea, yeah, the idea of like kind of that tribalism of like this is our group. We've always been a group. This has always been us, and like it's us against everybody. We're together. All right. Yeah, and that kind of relates to the opening line, load up your guns, bring your friends. We're here to protect this little piece of whatever. And maybe in relation to the I'm worse at what I do best, he's sort of thinking of this ideal of like ignorance in, be like, well, this is our little group. It stays together, it stays static, because we're happy here. But yeah, it's happy, it's safe, and like, we never grow. Or change. That's right, because growing, as established by his sarcastic first two lines, fuck, it sucks. Like, it's painful. Yeah, true. That is a connection between those two. I dig it. Right on. Um, and then we get to, we do a pre-chorus, chorus, post-chorus, guitar solo, and then the final verse. The final, final verse, yeah. Final verse. Verse three, and I forget just why I taste. Oh yeah, I guess it makes me smile. That to me screams like depressive tendencies. Like mm-hmm. talking about like not tasting things. Or, like why do I even like like everything? Like food losing its flavor and like not smiling, or like just being kind of dismissive of the concept of happiness. Yeah. And, like, forgetting what happiness like, is beyond smiling. Do right? I, like, what's the point? Like, I can't taste anything, but, like, why did I ever want to do that? Oh, I guess maybe there's happiness there. Oh, okay. Like, it's just mm-hmm. even tone. Like, don't even care. And we know that uh, Kurt Cobain had some issues with depression. Yeah. Uh, that's not news. No. So, and then the rest of the verse, I think, kind of supports that. Found it hard. It's hard to find. Uh oh well whatever never mind, uh which is the album title hey hey never mind, uh but that line like oh well whatever never mind like we talked about this song being kind of definitive of like the early nineties in particular and like that nineties attitude of like kind of this ironic detachment Mm -hmm. that like that line sums up like the entire thing. To me, like in in just four words. Oh well, whatever. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, it's just like I'm gonna make a bunch of noise. Yeah, forget about it. And that's even kind of like how he treats the song afterwards. He's like, yeah, I was trying to be the Pixies. Like, yeah, forget about it. Like, never mind. Yeah. Don't think about it. Let's do another. Why course. are people analyzing this? Don't think about it. Like, <laughs> why are we even here? Hmm. And yeah, another uh, a genius brings up that uh, having a taste is often used in drug culture, and oh. Kurt Cobain was a drug user. True. So the other idea behind why I taste, oh yeah, I guess it makes me smile, is like, you know, using drugs to attain happiness, and then forgetting that that's why you're using drugs, and then at some point you just kind of use them because you know to keep stable. Right. Yes, this is a concept I have heard of before. I didn't hear about. I didn't know that taste was slang for that, though. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's you know, like, have a taste. Just got to get a taste. Let me get a taste, man. That you makes know? sense. I didn't make that connection. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's what happens with with almost any behavior that provides you dopamine, right? If you fucking get into a habit long enough, there comes a point where you're just like, I'm doing the same thing. I've forgotten why the fuck I'm doing this. Oh, right. It, I guess like it's supposed to make me happy. Precisely. And then yeah, I found it hard. It's hard to find. Um, the the it in that equation is it life? Is it purpose? Could be anything. It could be anything, right? I found it hard. It's hard to find. It's just you flip flip the words around, baby. You got poetry. You got two. It's it's uh, it rhymes. It's like a poem. <laughs> and yeah, it's a good line. I like it. Oh well, whatever. Never mind. Yeah, that really is. Like that is the just the like saying all this stuff this and being like, eh, nothing matters. Yeah, it's like doesn't eh. matter. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and and since right from there it goes into the drone again of hello, it's just like that's a perfect slip into that. It's just fucking noise, right? Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. And then uh, do you do another chorus, and then like, and then they start shouting a denial. Mm-hmm. Or he starts shouting a denial a bunch. And that's kind of what the song rides out on. Shouting a denial over and over again. And I don't necessarily know what that means. Um, well, I guess when you end with Nevermind, Nevermind's kind of like a denial, right? I guess so. A denial of, like, everything he said. And then just be like, ah, oh, whatever, never mind. Yeah. Uh, denying his own thoughts kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or denying, like, an analysis of... Because it is... It does seem to me to be a bit of an analysis of of um, how he sees the, like, entertainer, enter, um, fan kind of relationship. Even though they weren't, mm. like, huge at that point, really. So maybe right. it doesn't fully make sense. But there was still a fan base, I assume, to a degree. Yeah. They had an album. Um, and he's kind of denying, like the opportunity to like look into that and be like just go with it kind of thing like this is our pop song yeah it's uh yeah and maybe the song is in denial of what it is it's a pop song disguised as a grunge song it's this uh like expression of distaste for the music industry that's specifically built to appeal to that and just the 90s, so you have to be self-aware. Yeah, self-aware Reference and self-conflicting. Your thing is what it is, but not what it is. That's how it goes, man. Is that the, the genius annotation for this has uh, one, one comment on it where the guy says, uh, sentence is too complicated for what is actually said, but certainly not uninformative, <laughs> suggesting that the guy has written too much about this. <laughs> I, I think that's silly not even that he wrote that. too much, just that his sentences are too complicated. Like, yeah, like uh, actually, he only structure. says two different words, so your sentences are are too long because of that. I'm like, wait a minute, I got a second. I mean, I'm not going to tell you that his sentences aren't too long. I'm not going to judge his sentences, but I'm just saying the content of your sentences doesn't need to be like in the style of the the work it is analyzing. Yeah, or else you're just gonna be like, it's good. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably means something. Whatever. Yeah. I so I just wanted to point that out. But yeah, those are the lyrics. So yeah, like again, I don't know if we landed on anything concrete. No, I don't feel like we have, but I don't know if we can necessarily. This happens a lot. But so. there is this sort of like a, like emotional picture of angst. Definitely. It's a lot about the attitude and 
And I think that comes across in some way. Mm-hmm. So I suppose it's important to bring up at this point, Smells Like Teen Spirit. So uh, the, the lead singer for Bikini Kill wrote, Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on his apartment wall. Teen Spirit was a, a brand of deodorant for girls in the 90s. Kurt Cobain did not know that when he wrote this song. So he, like, called her, like, six months later. He's like, can I use that fucking line? She's like, yeah, what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where the name derives from. And I think there is something very, again, very funny and, like, it's almost on the nose about calling your song Smells Like Teen Spirit as a almost like a, a, a call to the revolutionary angst of teenagers and then having it literally be the name of a product. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the contradiction of the 90s. I mean, so much of it just sums up what I know about the 90s or what I think I know about the 90s. So Yeah, or at least what the 90s has been crystallized as yeah, in like, exactly. the public eye. Which is probably like 90% because of this song. So yeah. it's not even fair. <laughs> it's hardly fair. But yeah, it's just like this song is so caught up in that moment in time that it is... Like, it, you, if you could sell people of the future that this was a parody song of the 90s, if, if you really tried, you'd be like, listen, this is a parody work. It's just supposed to make fun of the 90s. It was made in, like, 2020. <laughs> but we do have a parody song of this song. That's right. Weird Al does a version of this. He certainly does. Anyway, Shout out maybe we'll talk Al. about that because we're about to talk about the music video. No, we're not. We're going to talk about the instrumentation. The music itself, which music. Um, we've kind of ta- talked about already. So it's guitar, bass, drums. That's really it. And a, a growly um, Kurt Cobain. Like he said in that quote, they play with the idea of soft and and quiet and then like hard and loud. Yes, it's very like, to me, like texture based because like particularly at the start, they start with like a clean guitar. And then when you get like they get into this heavy guitar for the like main riff which as discussed uh it kind of sounds like more than a feeling the riff from more than a feeling by boston yeah. supposedly and i heard this i i couldn't confirm it but supposedly they used to play more than a feeling um live and lead into this song i i couldn't confirm that that sounds fucking cool <laughs> um but i remember hearing that somewhere uh a while ago um and then but that's like heavy and that's these really heavy like distorted guitar and supposedly like they they were really like that was a big concern for them recording the album was like they wanted to sound heavy like they wanted to be Mm -hmm. like hard rock and they got like the the producer they got in um was kind of i don't remember what he had worked on but it was albums they were kind of trying to sound like you know heavier stuff um and then they were having trouble with some of the mastering and then they even called in someone else who had worked on i think slayer albums something like that um i'm realizing i didn't write this down um but i believe it was yeah like metal Mm. um stuff and they were really Trying to I can get see that. how yeah. that would be important. Like even in the low parts, like the sort of growl of the bass, like it's played on the low, it's on the low E string and low A. That's like it's right. I I learned to play it yesterday just to check it out. It's as simple as you fucking think it is, but it <laughs> doesn't go any higher than the fourth fret on the on the E string and the A string. So yeah, like not very high. And 
the other kind of part of the song because they come in with that riff, but it's just the introduction, and then it all dies right down, and it's this very, um, very sparse. Like they stick with the bass, and the drums keep playing, and the bass, as you said, is very simple, like going with the chord progression, which is like four chords, mm-hmm. um, and like just repeated over and over and over again, um, and then. The guitar just like as he sings the the verse in that, there's like a bit of guitar, but it's also very sparse. So like it's very open and like it just plays do do like every couple like two notes every couple measures. So yeah, there's not like a ton going on there texture wise. Mm, and they even the drums have 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 dialed back from what they are in the chorus. Yeah, and. Oh, there's also, there's a note in the pre, or no, this is the pre-chorus. <laughs> so that was the, that was the verse. Mm-hmm. And so, and yeah, the- then that, the pre-chorus takes that sort of guitar, and sort of picks it up, like speeds it up, throws a little distortion and echo, and it's, right, and then there's a the lot more just sort of guitar, that it gets a lot more dense there. Uh drums are a little more intense so the sound here is as far according to i think a guitar world i guess article um be done with chorus pedals so there's yeah. like a, a a distortion guitar and i think are there two guitar sounds on here maybe not yeah because yeah. there is uh, there's the distinctly that like fucking like heavy distortion yeah like, so there's a distortion guitar noise. and like a chorus guitar and that's the kind yeah. of like they described it as watery yeah that, that checks out to me and the bass guitar is tuned down i think you mentioned that did you mention that yeah it's it's super fucking low yeah so just very very low yeah, and you got you know the droning of his voice. It's almost getting drowned out by the the instruments. The watery guitar. Mm. Yeah, that watery ass guitar, and then it just like you guys know the chorus. The fucking drums start ripping, and then he starts screaming, and then everything gets fucking hard. Yeah, and that's like the densest part because now you've got everything. The mm. guitar is playing the riff now. Then. What's interesting to me about this is like the way the drums play, they kind of like play it boom, 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 boom. Like that's kind of the rhythm that yeah. you get out of it, which sort of follows the rhythm of the of the vocals as well. Like they're they're working together really. Yeah, it's very interesting to see that like instruments are really just mirroring each other in this song, right? Yeah, so everything's kind of staying together. Like they create this density. But mm-hmm. it's not a ton of like different stuff going on or anything. It's it's yeah. kind of sonic density without necessarily increasing the musical complexity. It's yeah. all based around like kind of effects and stuff. But without getting muddy either, which is important. Yeah, which is probably why they're having trouble with some of the mixing and like needed to call extra people in. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, maybe I don't know, but uh, they did a pretty good job. The other thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned it the melody and i know i mm-hmm. said earlier like it it's so such a like strong melody vocal melody which seems like a weird thing to say when he's like screaming really mm-hmm. you know and like it's very very like 
raspy not raspy anyway yeah screamy voice but like the melody is is so i mean it's iconic really at this point but uh but it's kind of what draws you in and i know there was or there was some quote and i don't have the quote unfortunately about like how much work kurt cobain would put into his melodies like that was really a large part of his focus and i think that was actually part of the like lyrics quote because he's like i got these lyrics but like what's more important is like the melody and the harmony like really because like that's right. what's telling kind of the story it's the delivery of it it's not yeah. the words it's how he sings them yeah and so and like this is a really strong melody because like you get to this and like that's so simple but like it's so mm. memorable yeah, and just he like he sounds like he is putting his all into fucking screaming those out. That too. The performance is great. I mean, he was there was another thing about him where he's like on some some list of like greatest metal vocalists of all time. <laughs> I'd be curious. I mean, you always hear about uh singers who like they sound good, but also they're destroying their voice, so twenty years down the line they just don't can't do it anymore. I'd be curious mm-hmm. if he was still around what his status would be. Yeah, be interesting. Who knows? Who knows? So that's pretty much the base structure is that repeated a few times over the course of five minutes. The only other big difference is the guitar solo in the middle. Sure. Which is, it's like, it's rated as like a a top guitar solo on a few different lists. But the crazy thing is it really is just a distorted guitar, different level of distortion, essentially playing the vocal melody. Which, as we discussed, is pretty strong but is it the hello vocal melody i think it's kind of both both? yeah yeah because it goes sorry it drones on into the hello section after that but right yes and i guess i didn't uh shout out the the melody and the verses but also strong also Mm -hmm. strong i mean it is basically this guitar solo so yeah and it's I think that like that speaks to like Kurt Cobain's ability to use distortion. Like there's so many different kinds of distortion in this one song. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff and it's very like like in many ways simple and in many ways memorable and I one time and this is kind of an odd comparison this was just a casual comparison that i saw someone make on the internet but i one time heard kurt cobain uh compared to um mark bolin in that he was able to kind of repurpose older things to in a memorable way and it wasn't necessarily the most meaningful thing in itself but like it was memorable and it was catchy and like in terms of like they both sort of fit the style of the day, but were able to sort of attract people by by writing these memorable riffs and mm. and uh, melodies, or yeah. using these memorable riffs and melodies. Right. However you look at it. Yeah, it smells like Teen Spirit and Bang a Gong are pretty much the same. Pretty song. Pretty much the same song. Yeah. Like Children of the Revolution. And no, I don't know many other Nirvana songs. I'm not even gonna. <laughs> um, I forget. I should know that one that was in Rock Band. Um, uh, 20th Century Boy. Yeah, I know That's a lot of T-Rex songs. Fucking now, uh, the Spaceball Ricochet. Spaceball Ricochet. The Slider. Fucking. 
Uh, I think one's just called Girl. Yeah, I think one's just called God. God. No, that's not right. No, that's a different song. Never mind. So really, yeah, uh, never mind is the uh, uh, a beard of stars of you know uh, Nirvana. It's, sure, it's, it's all it's all the same shit, bro. It's all the same. All the same. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I agree, concur. Um, anything else to say about the instrumentation before we jump into the music video? No, not really. Yeah, right. Let's fucking do this. So the music video takes place in like a high school gym with you know, like your classic black curtains laying down. There's like a basketball hoop. There's a long haired Dave Grohl on drums. Uh. And they're fucking playing music to this uh, this group of what starts out as kind of disinterested high school students. They're just sitting there. It's like a pep rally. There's cheerleaders with their yeah. like regular ass cheerleading uniforms on. Which this janitor. also the cheerleaders also seem pretty disinterested. They're just like twirling their pom poms around and like not really moving their legs. Yeah. And then it, uh, throughout the video, it cuts to this janitor who seems to just be really grooving to the music like the whole time. <laughs> He's just like fuck yeah, like this is a jam, and then the uh, the the audience of, of high schoolers grows like increasingly like agitated almost. They get they start to get into it. They start dancing. They're taking their shirts off and you know getting buck wild. The cheerleaders' uniforms change into these black ones with anarchy A's on them. That's right. They do have the A's. Do they change mm-hmm. or do they always have the A on them? I thought it was a change. I just might have not been paying close enough attention. Because I think they start out black, but you can't see the symbol. Like, the camera's on uh, the other side of them. Okay, or, yeah. So it's revealed, at the very yeah. least. Which is, I mean, it's it looks like Anarchy A, but it's also supposed to be, like, sports team or whatever. Yeah. Because they're cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, to me, like... As much as the content of this video is interesting and like they kind of progress into this like party state and then there's fire, I think Um, the look of the video is kind of the the memorable thing to me because that Mm -hmm. look of like this foggy, smoky gymnasium sort of thing or like room with like things hung in the back, just like sheets hung up. Yeah. Um. It's fucking, you know, garage band kind of look. Yeah, and like and and the really stark like orange lighting and like the way the band mm. has these like shadows on them and they're sort of like their hair is covering their face and there's light shining on the face but like at least Kurt's face, like he's got a spotlight on his face. Mm-hmm. But also like it's sort of hidden cuz of the hair and like he'll step out of the spotlight sometimes and like I don't know, it's the lighting really to me that's like the memorable part of this. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's, it's like a, it's a well lit like the lighting on this really does set the atmosphere for it. It's very um, interesting. Yeah, it, the video ends with Kurt actually fucking destroying his guitar, and then him. Well, then it's a close up on his mouth, like finishing it. But yeah, and this whole riot, and then the, the janitor sweeping up as there's this presumably like a principal or something tied up with a dunce cap on him. Yeah, <laughs> they've tied someone with a bow tie up. And then the janitor's just cleaning up. Yeah, so I wonder if this, like, relates to the, to sort of the chorus. Like, I feel stupid and contagious. He gets this whole group of high schoolers just, like, fucking rowdy, and then they tear the place up. And then afterwards, the janitor just is like, well, that was a pretty good song. And just, like, keeps on fucking sweeping. <laughs> just doing his job, man. Yeah, because maybe he cause, because since he doesn't have teen spirit because he's an old guy, he's just like, oh, this is a jam, but he doesn't like get caught up in it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. 
He's the wise old janitor or something. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, it 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 feels just kind of like a like an uh like just a piece. It's just like you know, you look at it, you get the emotion, the vibe from it, the lighting. What's happening is almost irrelevant. Yeah. Well, that's what really stuck with me anyway, because I I didn't see the music video for a long time, but I saw clips of it, and I just remember the, mm. yeah, the light, the lighting. But yeah, I tell you this, smells like fucking teen spirit. Certainly does. Uh, there's also a Weird Al Yankovic, uh, music video, for his mm-hmm. parody called "Smells Like Nirvana," and it's all about how he can't understand the lyrics. Uh, it's pretty amusing. The drummer has very similar drums, but they say drum on them instead of chaka. Chaka? Chaka. Like with chaka CH. Con. Um, and there's like a chubby guy in one of the cheerleader outfits. The janitor eats a bagel out of his mop thing, like with the water in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's uh, I just wanted to bring that up because why not? Yeah. There's a guy on fire at one point. You know, it's, I know dude. it's a parody. It's a parody. My problem is the secondhand song never lists the parodies. At least never lists Weird Al ones for me. Hmm. Well, you know what it did list? That one Christian version of fucking that one. So what song was it? Um, anyway. It was uh, fucking. I can't remember. No, it's Live and Let Die. It was never. That was, yeah. Really just died. Die. Yeah. So shit. it listed that one. So anyway, uh, that happened. Um, there's also another recording of them performing the song on um, Top of the Pops, uh, and they were upset about it because they had to use like a pre-recorded instrumental track with live vocals, and Kurt's just like singing super low, just been like, "Here we are now, entertain," <laughs> like kind of like the Muppets version that we're gonna like talk about later. Um, so it's kind of funny, and the band's just like fucking around because they're not actually playing their instruments. I love it when bands do that. <laughs> anyway, so that's fun. Um, that's fun. And there's lots of versions of this song. We got a lot of covers to talk about today, so we're going to jump into them. First on the list is Tori Amos in 1992. So she's a singer-songwriter. She's been around for a while. I've heard the name before. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Uh, don't know much about her other than that. Other than the things I looked up, which is uh, she was the inspiration for one of the characters in Neil Gaiman's um, Sand- Sandman. Sandman. Uh, the character... Sandman. Sand. Sand. Sandman? Is that it? Sandy. Sandy? Character Delirium. Delirium. And apparently they're good friends because he's the... She's... He's her daughter's godfather. Okay. So that's neat. Um, And she also performed a song in the Good Omens soundtrack. Just played Yeah, piano. I thought so. Um, And this is mostly piano stuff, this version. Yeah, so it's a, it starts with this sort of like rolling like arpeggio on the piano kind of thing and uh doesn't 
doesn't stick with that kind of yeah rolling arpeggio like you said and then she starts singing pretty quick um she's classically trained as a singer and she sounds like it like she sounds like there's a lot of like restraint here you know she knows how to like mm-hmm. control that yeah cool. i think there was some great like uh like quieter vocal dynamics it made me think mm-hmm. of i've written here like a pained otis redding you know pained otis redding okay <laughs> interesting because we're like we're on his version of uh like uh what a wonderful world he you know he just fucking gives it like so much energy and all these different twists on how you can punch lines and this is like the the opposite like how you can sort of pull punches and sort of uh, like bring it inwards right um and then in terms of the the um piano playing i think it's very it kind of follows at least the the idea behind or what i think is the idea behind the original in that it's very like texture based yeah like like it it starts more sparse and then like there's more stuff and it's still those like arpeggios so still kind of a different style but the core is like a similar idea so i was i was pretty impressed by like this version because like it's it's softer and and it's kind of more like twinkly sound it's obviously not like this metal distortion Mm -hmm. but it still has like that spirit of what of how the original works mechanically yeah and she plays around with like where she's playing it on the piano how heavy she's hitting the notes like it's uh, like dynamics again is like what makes this shine is she has this good idea of heavy and light both in her instrument playing and in her vocals and it makes this very like rich like haunting sort of version of this yeah which is i we we sometimes uh, we often don't like slow piano covers, and this is very much a slow piano cover. But this is like done well. Mm-hmm. Like, this so, is what you want people to yeah. hear when you're doing a piano cover. You want this sort of impression where it's like, oh, this person has had a weight inside of them that they are bringing out through this song. Yeah, exactly. This is this is the good version of of all of that, which we've come across before, and this is another mm-hmm. one. Um, Cindy Lauper did one. Yeah. Uh not in this song. Um and let's see what else is there to note about in this version. Uh this is going to happen in a lot of them where they skip the last two lines of the chorus. But right. they sing them the last time. Sort of that's right. leave them out. So they say also, here we are to entertain us and then that's the end of mm-hmm. that chorus. And she doesn't say how low when she does the hellos. Right. And I guess part of that is probably I mean, as you mentioned, there weren't official lyrics published, so you're just going based on what you hear, and they do sound very similar. Mm-hmm. And this is 92, so yeah, like yeah. she was hot on the heels of the original Didn't release. Didn't have much time to like analyze, just listened no. and, and said what you thought it was, what it meant. Yeah, so it's, uh, like the piano does good build-ups through the hello section, uh... It holds true to the, the, the simple progression of the original while also doing these sort of flourishes. Um, there's, yeah, it's a, just a solid version, I think. Yeah, and uh, the one other like specific thing I want to shout out, because, I don't know, it's kind of neat. Uh, the mm-hmm. last chorus on the Entertain Us line, which is the end of the chorus on the other times, but she goes and sings the final few lines this time. She like really slows it up and like kind of turns it back and like you can really hear it's like in her teeth kind of thing when she says entertain yeah. us 
Oh, yeah. Just got it. <laughs> yeah. It's like 2.30-something. Yeah, 30 or 4. Like, if you go 2.35, you'll get it. Um, 2.33 if you want to give it some space. <laughs> just give it, give it a little... Give, a little, <laughs> give it a little run-up time, you yeah. know? Um, get some context. Yeah, so that that's a... I think part of that, like, vocal restraint and, like, just knowing the technique and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and texture, again, like you said, like, the the, yeah. the, the words hit different. Exactly. Texture and... I mean, there's a bit where she just, like, breathes heavily for a while, about two yeah. minutes in. So, yeah, like, that's right. There's a lot of that kind of stuff, and it's, like, good effects just to make mm-hmm. the... Make it fit with her sort of presentation of this song, her rendition. Yeah, it's just this 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 cover shows like a strong command of just like your voice and your instrument. It's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, it's good shit. Let's talk about Dusty Cow shit in 1995. Let's talk about Dusty Cow shit. Hello, hello, hello. When the lights out, it's so dangerous. Here we are now, entertain us. I So they're a Norwegian group. Uh, they're yeah. kind of. They remind me of the Cog is Dead. Yeah, we talked about them on the Bad Guy okay, episode. Yeah. But like, it's a real music genre. <laughs> but it's sort of that kind of, like, l- mostly live music group. That yeah, that was that's like pa- part very, joke, like, but showy. people were like, yeah, exactly. we like this joke, and they're, they're like, like, they're okay, right. <laughs> it's fun. Like, we'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, so they don't have a lot of like pu- like um, recorded material on Spotify, but I th- I don't know if they're still together, but they definitely did more like live stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is like the, country, uh, yeah, yeah, like more old school country types type music. So yeah, they uh, I have a quote I think here from their from their maybe I didn't put it down, but yeah, it's like country like it's supposed to be like kind of like spoofing American country music, that kind of shit. Right, yeah, even like looking at the album artwork, it's like this like showy cowboy who's got like a sequined maybe? It's shiny, like he's got this shiny sport coat type thing on with like white leather holster like it's very showy it's not like it's not like gritty cowboys it's like exactly so the quote is the band is known for making humorous parodic cover versions of old songs and their very distinctive hillbilly slash americana slash country style yep that's it that that sums it up so this is like primarily instrumental except for the choruses yeah it's kind of interesting the way they've They've broken it up because um, they replace the the vocals with other instruments at times. Mm-hmm. Like, they do a... What is it? Um, it's like a trumpet that plays the the verses. Yeah. Um, sort of and they... there's usually a, like a harmonica that leads into them. Yes. Well, there's a harmonica that kind of plays throughout because, like, they have this mm-hmm. acoustic guitar that plays, like, the main riff. And then yeah. there's a lot of the sort of scoop. I don't know exactly what the name of the technique is, but on a harmonica, basically, um, if you draw on the, the – the fourth hole in the harmonica is – if you blow, it's the tonic. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you draw, it's the, the second note in the, in the key – um, okay. And then you can also bend down on that, so you can make that like, 
kind of like sound and that's a pretty common thing and they do that a ton in this a lot it, it reminds me of uh school by super tramp yes exactly very much so like they really use that and that is like a very distinctive like harmonica technique of mm-hmm. like bending the note and then going back into the sort of unbent note yeah that is like throughout this piece mm-hmm. um so the tempo on this is a little faster than the original you can tell by listening to the bass line which is as simple as the original just quicker yes they've also replaced the drums with a more like it's a more country sounding kind of like driving rhythm like yeah like a like a horse yeah like a gallop sound exactly so they've yeah they've got that western thing in there they never do like a train chug with the harmonica though a little disappointing no but what are you gonna do uh, they do Can't still use cymbal crashes in this, though, going back to the percussion briefly. So they'll use cymbal crashes to sort of transition to different parts. Okay. Along with just I occasionally didn't take, I didn't there. take note of that, but... I did, that so... That sounds reasonable. Uh, smarten up next time. Ugh, damn it. <laughs> Fucking got you, bro. Um, Yeah, so we get the, the trumpet on the first one, and then we get all of the dudes, I think, singing when it comes to the pre-chorus is, hello, 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 hello. Yeah, it's not like, and we've talked about songs in the past where, like, uh, was it, it was maybe Live and Let Die, was it, where, like, the, the back of vocals came in for, like, one line. We're like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was insane. This almost seemed like it would be that, but then they, like, stuck with the, stuck with it. So, it was all right. Um, and And then they actually, yeah, so they got, like, a whole group, and they do something similar for the chorus, but they kind of have one like lead singer, but then also the other guys in the background doing Mm. the, the singing along. So it's like, everyone's kind of singing at the same time, or at least it's multi-tracked. Um, and then they do like a, a change up after they do the chorus. Hang on, I don't they, think it can be multi-track because this is a live recording. Oh well, then never mind. Well, you can still yeah. do that live, but I mean, it's probably but I'm all of sure them, it's singing. them singing. Yeah, yeah, that sounds more like that. Um, and then the other thing is during the chorus, the the drums kind of get a little more clicky. I think. Yeah. Or that's where the that's where that rhythm I described happens. The. Yeah, it gets the, almost the, like, jazzy at clock. around the like one twenty mark. Yeah, it kind of changes, and then like they slow down completely, which you'd expect from mm-hmm. the from the verses here, and then they do that sound with the harmonica, and then the drums do change, and the bass gets this really like, what did I call it? I didn't call it funky. I called it groovy. Yeah, it's like it's almost like a stand-up bass kind of tone you're getting yeah, out of it. And like it's completely different, and then they get this like, which I would associate with jazz. Like yeah, you said, and sometimes it sounds like the bass is playing two notes at once, which is fucking crazy, man. Yeah, that's that's nuts, dude. Two notes, it's fucking shit. dangerous. And then kind of the trumpets get to do their own thing of like, yeah, which is just like a swung version of the of the of the melody, the core, the verse melody. Mm-hmm. And we get another after that. We get another chorus. And then we had two the two oh five mark. One of the guys says, "Blow it away, Gurf." It's yeah. I don't know if it's a Norwegian name. I am not familiar with, but I heard like Gur. I, I looked at the uh, the band members on their Wikipedia page. None sure. of them have a name that even looks like. The closest one is one guy has the last name Gun. 
Could be like Gun. A little bit Gun. Is he a violinist? Because it a violin yeah. solo follows. Yeah, no, actually, yeah, I think Gun was the the banjo player. I don't know. Might have been violin man. too. Um. So I thought at first this was a, a harmonica solo because he says "blow it away" and then it gets all screechy, and I was like, "Yeah, we're getting some harmonica." Yeah. And no, no, it's no. a violin. This very pained violin, or it's very high up, very strained sounding. Yeah. And uh, other then the that, harmonica rips through the parts after that. Yes. Yeah, so they do another chorus, uh, mm-hmm. and the harmonica it's still really built on that like bend. Yeah. But uh, it actually gets to play a little bit more this time, so it's a little more interesting. And then they end with that whistle from I want to say like, like a fistful of dollars. Yes. Like the-, <laughs> the ooh, the whistle, but they like whistle it. Exactly. Yeah. And then that's the end. Yeah. That's I guess that's a big key thing to note. The original ends on a the original song ends on like an echoed out sort of final note. And a lot of songs stay true to that. There's not really any fade-out endings on here, but we do get that sort of final, like, end, and sometimes it's more like a dissolve. Which is, like, a relief. Yeah. Because we've had so many shitty fade-outs in the last couple weeks. Oh, man. No kidding. Um, yeah, and that's the, like, kind of parody country version. Yeah, like, or, like honestly. like, semi-parody country version. Not, but, like, it's not solid. bad. No. It's yeah, a little more old school. Like so, as far as country goes, that would be more, uh, more more reasonable to me. So. Mm-hmm. And I think the like taking away the focus from the vocals, which I don't think is their strong suit, except in like a sort of comedy context. I imagine right. it's funny seeing nine dudes sing that, but like <laughs> focusing on that the the violin, the harmonica, the instruments, like it and the trumpets, like it's much yeah. cooler. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely switches it up, makes it feel a little different. And I mean, the there's not as much like emotional drive behind it, but still, uh, we talked about how strong the rest of the song is. So mm-hmm. just using that works pretty well. Fucking A. Yeah. Uh, with that, we're going to move into Patty Smith in 2007. Patty Smith. <laughs> Fucking um, Smith. So we've talked about Patty Smith before. She's done some rock, garage rock type stuff through from the like early seventies through to I guess today she released an album, not as a solo artist, but like not that long ago. Um, she's kind of known for her like slam poetry type poetry, like modern free verse type poetry, and she brings it to this. She definitely brings. Yeah, it she to does. This. It's not exactly Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. But, but it's, it's it's in the in the vein of that. Yeah, same same idea in a lot of ways. Like or it is distinctly ideas. Patty Smith. I it think. is definitely Patty Smith's stuff. So this, but this is also like kind of more country. The yeah, I think there's like a. I mean, if you look at the album art, it's like Native American influence for sure. Mm-hmm. Like heavily. So um, yeah, it's like that. Like yeah, country sort of Americana. Yeah, and like the beginning starts with like this slow bass, and then but it plays the dun dun like the sparse guitar part, but it's on a yeah. banjo, I believe. Yeah, and the that bass is definitely a stand up bass because it's so deep. 
Yeah, you can just hear from the tone of it. Um, yeah, so this one sort of builds up a like a chaotic, consistent like folk uh, backing track. Yeah, progressively like over the song because it starts with just that bass. Yeah, and then like it's adds almost a banjo, like a adds like a wind lyrics. up toy, you know? Like it starts out slow and then it fucking builds momentum and then it's really going at it and then it slowly peters out. So yeah, that's an interesting structure. That's I mean not uncommon, but it's very like stark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of like adds like they'll add a violin in the background and you start to hear the I mean, it's got that like drone feeling. Mm-hmm. With the violins, which I have liked in the past, and it's pretty effective here too. Yeah, and with even with that, that bass is sort of plodding. It's like a boom, dum dum, dum. Yeah, they don't. It's not like do 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 like like in the original. It's just like play once a measure or something. Yeah, and so yeah, you set up this sort of like steady like main rhythm. And then it's just like stringed instruments coming in and like grinding and doing crazy finger picking. And so, yeah, it's like banjo and violin just fucking going buck wild in the back. Yeah. And creating that texture mm-hmm. that we have discussed on it's, almost yeah, maybe every version of the key so far. to this song is texture. And lots of people seem to be getting that. Of course, we've talked about like pretty prominent artists so far, minus yeah. Dusty Cow shit, like Tori Amos. <laughs> Patty Smith, like these are not nobodies. Yeah, these these are pretty big names. Um, and then her singing also is like very twangy in this, particularly in the chorus. Yeah, yes, she goes up at the end of like every line, and yeah, uh-huh. you can hear that. It, it, it's very similar to Gloria, actually. Really? She yeah, she does that like oh, on that's the right. corner. <laughs> Sitting on the parking meter. She goes up on stuff. So that's like classic Patty Smith style, I think. I guess so. I guess some of her like in the middle stuff, like it's maybe a little it's more like eighties influence and is a little less like this sort of like poetry, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a because the night or something is a little less twangy. Yeah. But this is definitely like her bread and butter. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So she's like like and like translating it from a like a Kurt Cobain vocal to Patti Smith, like she doesn't need to do that shouting because she, I don't know her voice just has that sort of like grunge element to it, right. that sort of roughness to it's it. It's a pretty distinct voice, and she can do some of that like rough sound and then add that twang on top too. Yeah, like the transition was so smooth to me. I was just like, yeah, obviously Patti Smith's gonna cover this. Like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like you don't even mm-hmm. like you think about it for a second. Like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't she? Um, and so yeah that like it's this build of instruments that tails off near the end this is a six minute version and a big reason for that is at the 325 mark she uh inserts like basically a minute of her own poetry into this yeah and it's about like the environment probably uh so here is the here it is it's actually on genius so oh i forgot job genius so the empty hand of innocence transfusing streets of the sorrows and children of the wood hounded shredding all veils and winding all sheets of the dead world droning overturning tables laden with silver sacrificial birds beating goat skin drums advancing with hands outstretched and we keep filling them with mercury nitrate asbestos baby bombs blasting blue 
Scavengers picking through the ashes, children of the mills, children of the junkyard, sleepy, illiterate, fuzzy little rats, haunted, paint-sniffing, stoned out of their shaved heads, forgotten, foraging, mystical children, foul-mouthed, glassy-eyed, hallucinating. Yeah. So that's Patti Smith poetry, right there. That's right there. I mean... There's, I, I think it really does bring ideas of counterculture. There's this concept of uh, how we're how we're sort of mistreating the youth who comes to us with their empty hand of innocence, and we fill them with mercury, nitrate, asbestos, and bombings. Um, you know, these. It's yeah, it's, a, it's sort of about I think killing our own future, which is a big thing we do in the name. And I like again, which we've I, I done from Patty, time to time. Yeah, I, I imagine Patty Smith is pretty anti-corporate, so I feel like those ideas are latched on here children's of the mills of the junkyards, these ideas of American waste. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, they're left sleepy as in like not woke, bro, illiterate, fuzzy little rats, paint sniffing, stoned out of their shape. Like there's all these ideas of just this sort of like this youth that we like has been destroyed by society. Right, and, and like to, and framing that with this song that was like very much kind of like an anthem of a generation written by like uh or with this fairly angsty attitude by a person who like later went on to commit suicide like it all kind of fits together mhm hmm and like goat skin drums i feel like the goat brings up ideas of satanism or like a, again something counter to america which is a good Christian nation, as we all know. Uh, As we all know. Yeah, there's just ideas of feralness. It's very, like, it's very Patti Smith and very, uh, like, relates to America in a very clear way. And I think pulls on maybe conceptions of the original song as well as of Kurt Cobain. I think it fits in pretty well here. Um, Um, The only uh, other thing I wanted to mention. There's a, so after all that, there's a violin solo. Like, right afterwards. And... I just think it's like the most punk violin solo because it's like very repetitive and like simple and they're very clearly like really reefing on this thing. It's just like, you know? Yeah, it really is just hitting the same things but like hitting them hard. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so punk to me, this violin solo. And yeah, everything in the background is like still going. There's this this fucking chaos and it's so awesome because in like the last minute, things literally just kind of, it's like, you know, like wheels falling off of a wagon. Things just start to stop. The banjo plucking almost gets like, it slows down and it gets almost sloppier sounding until it kind of mellows out, slows down and just completely peters out. And then she says libido a bunch. Yeah. Right at the, right at the end. If there's one thing we know about Patty Smith, it's that she loves to fuck. Maybe that's Between this something we know about Patty Smith. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe we do now. Anyway. But yeah, it's yeah. she's fucking good at covering music. That's a, that comes from a whole album of covers called Twelve. That's got Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix, Everybody yeah. Wants to Rule the World. Some neat by stuff. For the Boy in the Bubble is on here. Yeah. Um Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Anyway. Yeah, did everybody you say hurts. That yeah, I did. Sorry. Fucking Soul Kitchen. It's got some good shit on it. It's yeah. definitely worth checking out. With that, we're going to move into our next cover, which is Rhythms Del Mundo in 2009.
starts out um, identical to Tori Amos's version. Yeah, very like, similar, just like beat piano. For beat. <laughs> but yeah, there are a uh, what is it, Afro Cuban group that Yeah, well, uh, Rhythms del Mundo is a, a like a collective. They're a nonprofit yeah. group that creates these albums. They get famous people to come and perform um and record and then the proceeds go to like charity mm-hmm. disaster relief and climate change so let me ask you this then alex who yes. the fuck is sinead good fucking question that's because it's, it's sure as fuck not o'connor uh no it's not it's not spelled the same for sure no. <laughs> uh it is um I, I found her but she doesn't have much info on her like i couldn't find like i saw pictures of her but that's it Mm-hmm. Um, but like other names on this album, like the Killers, Amy Winehouse, um, the Rolling Stones, fucking Fallout Boy, John Mayer. No one is listed under Purple Haze. Like, like there's some big names on this album. I don't know who Shanae is. Yeah, goddamn. I know it's a Gaelic name. Yeah, that's what I know. Well, so this one, fucking. Like we said, starts out like the Tori Amos version, piano, then some acoustic guitar comes in, and you know she starts to sing. It's not until we get to the pre-chorus that things start to start to really shake up and diverge. Yeah, this one builds up more because it sounds like sounds like it's gonna be slow, and then suddenly you get to the pre-chorus and you're like, boom, Latin rhythm. Yeah, unexpected, not unwelcome. just out of nowhere. Not unwelcome. Not unwelcome. It sounds very cool. Um, yeah, because she's just doing the hello, and it's like... Yeah. Comes in almost hypnotic. You get that. You get the bass coming in. And that stays throughout the rest of the song, kind of like actually fairly high in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, the rhythm, I thought. And then they get some... Because like you mentioned, it was Cuban, so there's some of that like um, Buena Vista Social Club style, like trumpet playing and things like that. Yeah. Sort of like almost big bandy kind of stuff. Yeah. Like uh what do we call it? Cuban salsa. Yeah, these sort of low playing horns rather than big triumphant ones. Yeah. And uh it's sort of like in the rest of the song, like the go between like there being trumpets and piano and sometimes I mean the rhythm stays, but like the piano will come in, the piano will drop out, there's there's also strings that come in at mm-hmm. times. They'll drop out for a bit, so it's kind of like different combinations of those. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she's got these kind of like poppy vocals. The piano comes back in to do some, you know, like some ambient kind of note playing. Mm-hmm. Which I think she's uh, the piano player in this. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. The chorus has these big long notes on the horn section. Like, like, she's kind of in the background, kind of building in the back. Um. This- yeah. What's up? Yeah, there there's what? Oh, right after she like does a chorus and then mm-hmm. like there's this just like distorted electric guitar that starts to play. Yeah, very cool. Um it's got an almost like 70s rock vibe to it rather than like 90s grunge. Yeah, it's a little bit cleaner but still distorted, mm-hmm. but still not distorted. in that like not in the sort of like grunge metal influenced way, more like the hard rock. Yeah, like it doesn't have like crunch metal. to it. It's got this just like like an edge to it. Yeah. So cool sound. And then that does like a little solo and then they go back into a pre-chorus and And then like right at the end. 
Mm-hmm. She does like a yeah line as the end. Yeah. And then okay. there's like a little bit of like like guitar feedback and then like the acoustic guitars does this like Spanish picking, like style picking. And then just like that's the end of the song. So there's yeah. some like symbols and like a good, a good finish. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it fully gets the the uh, the vibe of the original in any which way, but that might just be I'm not like musically literate with sort of like Latin beats and things. Potentially, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or like, is the Tormi Amos version like clearly pulls on sort of the sadness of the like teen angst elements? The, the Dusty Cowshit version is like a humor piece. It's it pulls on the energy and just kind of like has a good time with it. Patty right. Smith's is is like Patty Smith's version is like it's just an alternate universe version of the song. <laughs> yeah, Patty Smith wrote it first. Although, well, I I have to disagree with that a little bit, and the reason for that is I think the the context the song originally was published in is important to the poem placed mm. in the middle. So I think That's that. Fair. I think that it existing prior to this cover is actually important to it. That's fair. Yeah, it exists in the same way her cover of Gloria exists, where she synthesizes her poetry with the song and like builds something. With Gloria, yeah, it's, I would it's argue related. better it's, with it's this not, builds something different. It's yeah. not arbitrary. It's not just using a popular song to get her poetry mm. out. They so, are, yeah, it, it's relevant. But yeah, I, and so yeah, I guess not an alternate universe, but it 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 builds on the original in a way, and like you know, it just kind of twists it in a new angle or it provides a little more light on it. Like it, it works with the energy of the original song very clearly. Whereas this one, to me, I not like I'm not really seeing the connection so much musically. Sure. Yeah. Like it's an interesting arrangement. I think it's skillful. Although taking played, it out I, of the sort of like Western tradition, even though Cuba's mm-hmm. in the West. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, does does like kind of change the context and make it more difficult, as you said, for us to maybe analyze in that way. Yeah. That said, I feel I still think it's well done. I just don't know if it it hits the mark quite as much as some of the other versions we've talked about. Right. Today. Yeah. It's definitely cool with that with that rhythm and and there's some cool sounds and they I would that that guitar you'd think might be out of place, but it wasn't for reasons I don't fully understand. So the electric guitar. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah. So with that, we're going to talk about what's arguably the best version of this song. It's a tip my hand. It's the Muppet Barbershop Quartet in 2011. Yes, this is this was in this is the longer version, but part of this was in the Muppets movie. Um, from 2011. <clears throat> from 2011. It's and the uh, Jason Siegel one. It's the Jason um, Siegel one. And Jack Black is in this scene. Uh, did you watch the scene? Yes. I did, yes. So the, the quartet consists of Sam the Eagle, Ralph the Dog, Link Hogthrob. I'm going to say that one more time. Link, Link Hogthrob. 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 Yeah. And Beaker. I also, I also had to look up the names. I knew none of them because I forgot Beaker's name. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so this is, yeah, in the movie, it's there, it's part of their, like, Muppet show to raise enough money to, to, I, I can't remember what they're trying to do in the movie, they're trying to just buy back the Muppets, like, license or whatever, like, identity rights, so they can 
do the Muppet Show. I don't remember exactly. They want to do the show again, basically. And yeah, they're basically. Trying to, they need to raise money or something, and they need to do a show. And some there's a villain. It's not Jack Black. Uh, no. This entire the, this scene is done. Jack Black's tied up, and they're shaving him, and he's like, yeah. "You're ruining one of the greatest songs of all time." But like, it's a yeah. You know, it's Jack Black, and it's just you know, they're they're messing around. He's he's a paid actor. He's supposed to be Jack Black in this scene. Yes. It's Jack Black as himself, as it's not Jack someone Black. being played by Jack Black. Um, and that he's his voice is totally taken out of this version, which is yeah. easy because in the movie version they just ignore him. He just talks and they sing. Uh, yeah, like and, he just talks they... over them. So. It doesn't really So they matter. set up, uh, they trade the lines around between the four characters. Generally, one does it, then the next, then the next, then the last one, and then they repeat the order. And that's key because there are two important omissions in lyrics here. The first being that they don't say, bring your guns. They don't even fill it in with anything. They just say, bring your, and then and then bring your friends along. Or load up, yeah, they say, load up on, and then bring your friends. Yeah, totally censored. And then when they go to the, the last two lines of the chorus... Instead of uh, of saying the you know the racially charged term, they just have Beaker say it. Me 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 me. Uh, and albino. He also uh, me me meeps over libido. Yeah, so Beaker's a little racist, three, horny three piece of shit. Words they were like, maybe we don't want these in our movie, Beaker, and it works. It, you don't even notice. Like, yeah, it's a clever use of censorship. Um, yeah, so they all sing, but I think Sam the Eagle takes the, the verses for the most part. The uh, most Sam part, the Eagle's yeah. the deeper voice. Uh, Ralph the Dog is the raspier voice. Link Hogthrob is kind of the slow-sounding voice. Again, Hogthrob. Hogthrob. I just want to just wanna <laughs> underline that name. <laughs> just Link. underline that. Hogthrob. Hogthrob. Um, oh, and... <laughs> The Can you imagine if in the next Zelda game, Shigeru Miyamoto is like, yes, his last name's Hogthrob. Oh, damn. He was based on a Muppet the whole time. Uh, just name Link Hogthrob, if you can name Link this time. Um, not a bad name for Link. Anyway, um, also, the song opens with the, like, hello, 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 hello. Yeah, the classic like, harmonization. barbershop Classic. Good shit. Classic. The rest of it's, like, acapella. Also, Muppets. Um, yeah. It's fun. Yeah, it's like exactly what you're expecting. Like, if anyone it's... can do acapella, it's the Muppets, because they're puppets. No, they're Muppets. I'm sorry. They're, yeah. I misspoke. How fucking dare you? <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, here we are now. Entertain Yeah, so bum, it's like, it's funny, bum, like, cartoon bum, voices. Bum. And uh, just, like, doing this, doing, like, a variety show acapella version of, of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, like, I'm going to go boom, on the record. Boom, Best boom. acapella version we have ever talked about and will ever talk about on this podcast. Unless we talk about more Muppets stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Which we'll maybe we should we'll retire it down. Now. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much merit there is in discussing this beyond, hey, look, the Muppets sometimes did acapella covers. And it's fun. How about that? Yeah, it's fun. Let's talk about the next version, Alex, which Let's is talk about fucking it. cinematic pop featuring cinematic McKenna pop. Breinholt in 2017. With the lights on, it's just dangerous. We are not entertainers. I'm just stupid and contagious. 
Have we talked about these guys before? Have we talked about Cinematic Pop? It seems like something we would have talked about. Right? I you know what cannot it is? Not remember what song it was. You're thinking about because I had the same thought. It's the, you're thinking about the ones from the Bond song from Diamonds Are Forever, who were named so. after the. Are you sure? Because they're named after. Uh, fucking like they're named after like the the predecessor to imax or whatever so we talked about a band called cinerama oh no i think it was something before like like i remember being in the past because i had this weird sense of deja vu because i think it had to have been either last spring or like fall because the way the light was hitting my desk in through my tiny window down here and like i had this weird Mm -hmm. deja vu and i I swear that i had talked about this group before but i don't remember it's very possible. So they're like it's a hard choir yeah. slash orchestra that, you know, does cover songs. That's their thing. Cinematic pop. It's uh, it's right there in the title. Yes. Um, so they kind of open uh what McKenna Brian Brianholtz, she's singing. She I think was on America's Got Talent. Um mm. and it sort of starts with this like pixicato like do do do. Do, 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 like pattern on some lower strings it sounds like mm-hmm. and then uh soft vocals come in kind of over top of that i think they're very like modern pop sounding yeah the way she sings um and whatever that means to you um and then you know, i've looked over their stuff on spotify and nothing is yeah i don't know i just they sound they seem familiar but I can't remember. It's like a familiar concept. Yeah, um, I guess so. It's so uh, they, yeah, yeah. So and they've just got this like they start very low and they've just got this like or- orchestral thing going on with the like low strings and then like they add piano and then it's all very soft. And then she says hello a lot. Yeah. As expected. Very, uh, it's very boring. Yeah, I'm trying to find the, uh, things to talk about. <laughs> so it's from, we go from the first verse directly into the second verse. We don't break for uh, a chorus. Right. And then uh, it's pretty fucking boring, and then the choir starts to build at the minute mark, and then it, it comes to this big, grandiose uh, chorus, which if, if, the, you know, if the Rhythms Del Mundo version was sort of removed from the context of the original, this one is fully removed. Like, there is no emotional connection. <laughs> Yeah, they really, and then like they get like that chorus, and it's this like big sweeping orchestral arrangement, like boom, rum, boom, like I don't know, it's like moving back and forth, and like interesting, I guess, like in its own context, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of like it's, it's it's so disconnected that the the highs of this song, any excitement you're getting from the song is not really connected to the fact that it smells like teen spirit. And you get that, like, oh, like, choir stuff. Just to have another random thing. It's like, you know, some. it's like if you have a, a marijuana edible, if you, you can eat it to both enjoy the, the taste of the food and get high, or you can just fucking swallow it whole like a snake to get high. And <laughs> like a that's what this song is. It's just like, Loom. like, give me the benefits. Swallow it whole. <sighs> Of orchestral music, and if it has to come to me in the form of it smells like team spirit, so be it. Yeah, I'm. I don't love this. I mean, the cinematic thing, I it makes sense. It kind of has that movie soundtrack feel, but it's mm-hmm. really more chasing the movie soundtrack than it is the like smells like team spirit concept. Yeah, and you know, like I always talk. I used to always talk about Hey Ya and how it has that 
that conflict between the lyrics and the composition, but that's like a, a positive of that song. Sure. And those two mashing up against each other makes for something interesting that he even comments on in the song. Yeah, it's cool. meaningful. But here it's just nothing. It's just, it's like, you, you ever try to combine two things in your mouth? You're like, this will be crazy. And then it just ends up tasting like those two things in your mouth. Yeah, and they just don't add to each other. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, like they're mint like completely and, separate. Mint and Coca-Cola. Those yeah. don't go well together at all. That sounds fucking awful. That's actually specifically bad. So that's not what you're talking about. But I learned that one time. Yeah, it's 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 like inert. Like it's <laughs> just like nothing. <laughs> yeah, and like you expect them to kind of be... Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Like, like water, if you put water and like oil in your mouth, you'd be like, well, I thought they were going to come together. I thought they were going to combine. I've never <laughs> learned any chemistry. Um, any fucking chemistry. There's also like the choir gets these like chanty lines near the end, but I don't know what they're saying. Like, could be anything. Yeah. I, I think they, I, I think it's lines from the song. They're probably saying like a libido a bunch or some shit. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, this one was underwhelming and kind of stupid. Let's talk about another one that is kind of like that. Scary Pockets 2017. Scary Pockets. So we've talked about Scary Pockets a couple times. Uh, It's headed by Jack Conte. Jack Conte. Um, yeah, don't know how to the say his name. Co-founder of co-founder of Patreon, right? uh, and um, entrepreneur, and also guy who records saw funk and like related covers of of pop songs. Um, I am always up and down on Scary Pockets. I've liked them in the past. Um, yeah, I was looking them up a bit yesterday. This album has a pretty solid version of Rocky Raccoon. So I invite you to check that out. Um, I will accept that invitation. And uh, this one, I think was I thought was decent. This one, oh, I think it had good ideas. <laughs> I mean, like it was. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm. I think so. It starts out with this, like <clears throat> these immediate jam band vibes, like they're trying to get shit together. This fucking funk synth, They're like whoop, whoop, right? Whoop. There's like voices talking. You hear the like whoop, 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 and then like the bass doing it's like like little yeah. It kind of like, kind of counts in, and then they do the like funky like kind of guitar thing. It's like sanitized funk. I think funk needs to be a little greasier, in my opinion. Yeah, that's kind of their brand. Yeah, in a lot like, of ways. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> And uh, I wasn't a huge fan of this is kind of more specific, but I thought there was a little bit too much reverb on the vocals. A I lot. thought the vocals were also just bad. I um, don't think he did a good job singing on this. Could could be. Could be. So it could be the reverb, but like when they, the twist in this song, if one can call it that, is that the chorus is a, like a dance version of it. It's very much like something you would hear at a club remix. Is this high synth notes, this right? Like, vibe, and then his voice cannot do. It does not thrive in that context. It is. It dies. Yeah, it's more focused on the like, like playing the synth. And I watched the video, so you can kind of see what everything is. Um, he's just got like some synth pads there that he's playing. He's got two different synthesizers and 
There's a lot of synth work on this. This is uh, mostly synth work. Yeah. I think what they could have done is they could have had him do the verses, but then in a classic, if they're going to try and pull on these like dance vibes, get a female singer for that chorus. It sings like high and clean and fucking just like separated a little better amped up like chorus. Yeah, that might work out. Um, I didn't find it like overly funky. Yeah, I would say I was a little when I saw it, like I saw it was called like the album's called like new funk. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's something I don't know, but like I don't know. It felt more like like a dance track. Some of it's got that like that like funk guitar where you kind of repeat, you know. Yeah, so well, it's the more funk like a rhythmic parts guitar feel pretty kind of thing. stilted to me. But I was a little surprised when I was like, "Funk is this funk?" I guess. Yeah. Like, oh. Well, in those verses, like it's almost like trying to get a car started. It's like, but the bump, and it's like, you're like. Like usually, like you can fuck around with that for a bit, but I find like you get it, you have to get the groove going at some point, right? Like you can tease people for a bit, but you have to give them the groove eventually. And you don't think the groove is there? No, I think they have faked the funk on this nasty dunk. Ooh, damn. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I'll agree that it didn't like quite click. I didn't really dislike it, but it's not like I've liked other songs of theirs better, and I've liked other songs of theirs uh, less. I think like I was looking I up, like I said, I was looking them up the other day and I came they did a cover of just the way you are, uh, mm-hmm. with Theo Katzman. And I like just the way you are. Like I like Billy Joel and I like Theo Katzman, but for some reason, those two things together just didn't work. So sometimes, I mean, they do a lot of songs and this one just didn't, or that one didn't click. And this one I thought was a bit better than that one, but well, yeah, I haven't heard this one. Of the ones we've covered on the show, this is the worst Scary Pockets cover. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was one other one that I didn't like very much, but yeah, I don't recall. It? I don't recall, but anyway, yeah, yeah just like they can it... be all over the place. Also, his like face when he's playing, like Jack Conte, mm-hmm. very like focused and intense, and he's just like, I can't, you can't see it because um, mm-hmm. I'm, it's a audio medium. But like, check if you watch his videos, that he does it when he plays. Looks yeah, very this tense. is like I mean, and they they're obviously technically skilled. I it's just, but there's no like emotional grit. There's no, you know, it's all steak, no sizzle to me. Yeah, and I think that's part of like kind of their process, as I understand. It's like very fast. It's like you got to be prepared, and then you go in, or and like everyone throws around some ideas, and then you record, and like it's done. So it's very like iter- like not iterative. It's like just do it, and we'll see if it works, and we're gonna release right. it regardless. And yeah, that that's my problem. Is yeah, just don't release it. If it sucks, don't release it. Um. So or that's what I understand of it. Of course, I can't say that because I release this podcast every week, and I'm sure motherfuckers are like, oh, it's not very good. Like, hey, fuck you make your own podcast. So. <laughs> Give us feedback, then you fucking pricks. <laughs> Please, we would like feedback. Um, yeah, there's a bass solo in this at the two minute mark. Uh, like it is chaotic, but there's no punch behind it, which is what the original has. And we you can gotta do this all day. I can, I can shit on this for a hundand different reasons, but we should probably just move on to Shaka Punk unless yeah. we have anything else to Let's say. Let's talk about Shaka Punk. Alright, the 
This is a French electro rock band formed in Paris in 2004. They mix different forms of popular music into their songs in addition to world music, although predominantly with an electronic and experimental rock sound. Yeah, this one's not super electronic, but there's a couple synthesizers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it opens with, like, guitar strumming. Yeah. Kind of like, I said two guitar sounds, but I don't hear the other one anymore. One's doing a bass note. There's a yeah. doom. So it's kind of like I a cleaner one and a more a distorted guitar? one. Yeah. Oh, I hear it. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like, jun, 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 kind of like slow chugging sort of thing. And this yeah. one does get kind of metal. But it starts yeah, it very slow. So this singer, who I believe is Samaha Sam. Mm-hmm. Samaha? Samaha? Um, Yamaha. Yamaha um, is singing pretty raspy, but like it's pretty low at this point. Start low. Sing the first verse. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's soft, and then at around the uh, let me see what it is here. About the minute mark, just before it, like a violin comes in after the pre-chorus. Yes, yeah, so to sort of get that like violin drone or like long violin note. Yeah, and we don't get a chorus yet. No, we skip it entirely, and we just go right into the next verse. Which is Where happens we, a couple yeah. times, just to yeah. shorten the and song up a bit. We get double tracked vocals on this, I think. There is another singer, okay. Fra. That was a name. That wasn't just a syllable. Um, <laughs> you were trying, that wasn't like an exclamation. Fra. Fra. I know it sounds like uh, a character from The Dark Crystal to mention Muppets <laughs> again, but whatever. Um, so I believe they're both singing here. Uh, mm-hmm. Because he does sing a bit more later. Um, and right. then they get into the pre-chorus. James Bond progression. Oh. 130. Yeah. You and it I is featured it? prominently throughout the song. <laughs> yeah. So dun, perfect time dun, for us to cover this dun. version. Absolutely. <laughs> After having done a month of James Bond's music. (laughs) Um, So this is great. Uh, Yeah, so then... Let's see. Yeah, so they're doing this James Bond thing for the the pre-chorus. And then even they get into the chorus, they stay slow. And at Mm -hmm. this point, I believe that is when the other voice... Yes, the second voice starts singing. 130 and they do this false end that's like kind of tricks you're like oh they're about to go hard right they do like a big pause and then they do a slow chorus yeah so still got that guitar playing in the background two guitars playing in the background stay slow got the violin going and then right at the end you get this like guitar breaking and like like doing this like super pretty distorted guitar yeah and then from here on out, we're like metal. Yeah, so that's the 210 mark. It, yeah, it goes straight into metal. Big drums, some choir elements. Uh, yeah, so there's kind of a transition where, like you mm-hmm. said, there's like this kind of choir being like, oh, 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 and like the guitar's getting all sorted out and it's distortedness. And then another verse. And it's got that like chugging, kind of like. Yeah, where it like chugs in like two phrases. Yeah, and then they've got that kind of more like heightened metal vocals where they've got the like growl going on, but it's it's not like the beginning was raspy, and this is more like a growl because they've increased in intensity. Mm-hmm. But it's still the would... two vocalists, I believe, going at it. Yeah, same time. 
Yeah. And then yeah, she they they really punch the uh the next chorus. She goes full on with the vocals. Very like I think it, I'm, I'm going to make a, a leap and I'm going to say it's very power metal. I'll I'll accept that. It is also still very James Bond. Yeah. I just want that to be known. I want that important fact to be out there. And you get these choir vocals in the back still. Dun, 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 dun. Sure, I believe you. I yeah. I don't know what part you're talking about specifically. Um, but... j- during the, it's uh when she goes to the uh d- you know uh, this or uh, that mosquito libido bit. They're in the back, and then at oh, okay. two, at three forty at least about three forty mark. Right, it's just choir. Right, say, entertain us. That's what they say. Okay, I couldn't yeah. make it out. I hear Torn it now. Dog. Like, I can make it out. Okay, I hear that. Um, and then like Samaha Sam. That's a fun name. Um yeah. ends up doing another another chorus, but like double track this time. Uh the yeah. other guy sings the end and like Yeah, it's like very like metal, but it's got that like like you said, kind of power, kind of orchestral type metal mm-hmm. style metal. Yeah, and so they do a little call and response between the choir and the main vocals near the end. Like, this one, where Patti Smith was, like, build up and then fall back down, this one's just, like, build, 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 right to the end. Yeah. Just jams it all in there. And I think that's a pretty, like, because since the original version has such, like, consistent punch throughout, I think getting, finding a way to make your version punch is very important. I think they did a very good metal version of that here. Yeah, I enjoyed this version. I, I was a little iffy on it at first, but I think it, it grew on me. Um, yeah. But I agree. The original version kind of had that, like, up, down, up, down, up, down, and this one is more like down, 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 up, 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 up. Yeah. <laughs> and then just up. It's also quite long version. Yeah, it's uh one of the longer ones. It's, uh what is it, six minutes? Six and a half? Yeah. And, of course, you get near the end. The strings play the James Bond progression. I just <laughs> got to point out these James Bond progressions. They're in this yeah. song very prominent. And it's, like, barely been changed. Like, it's the same duration of everything. And I can't notice it in any other version. So I don't think they took it from any other version. But, hey, here they go. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And just yeah, before like that, they have this kind of kind of laser sound yeah that's the i guess electric stuff but i didn't think the synth stuff was like super prominent in this version Uh, no like this is built to be like an operatic like power metal version i think which uh the vocals really support that i mean i guess that's their style i don't know much about them honestly i was interested in the name so i listened to some of their stuff I don't remember what it was. I was not super impressed by what I heard, honestly. But I'll have to try, maybe check out some more other music. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, and then it it does a uh, like a, a, a not a not a fade out, but like a dissolve essentially. So it's they let notes ring out, and then it ends, sort of decays. Right. They just got this like long, long decay on the notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the that's the last song we're talking about for covers. That's it. So. We're going to get into our final verdict. We have three categories today. The worst version, the best version, and the version that smells like teen spirit. 
What's the smelliest version? Hmm. The smelliest version. Um, yeah, which one of these versions needs teen spirit applied to their underarms? Um, Alex, what's the worst version of this and why? What is the worst version of this song? Ah, oh, man. Which one did I like the least? <sighs> hmm. Probably cinematic pop. Wasn't a huge fan of the cinematic pop version. Um, I don't know what to I, I, to say about it other than that. That's the one that I liked the least. Like that's it. Didn't really. Yeah, it was, didn't really it was say bland. much to me. Yeah, it was. It was large, fucking chaotic noise signifying nothing. Whatever that quote is, I forget who says that. But I, it's I dumb. I don't know. It's stupid, and I hated it. To quote myself. <laughs> um, that's it's a close one for that and Scary Pockets with me because Scary Pockets was just a fucking mess of bad ideas. Is that your worst then? Uh, yeah, I think just to spread the hate around, it's oh. time to give it to Scary Pockets. Hang on, uh, this life, which has been the tomb of his virtue and of his honor, is but a Walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's the one. That's a William Shakespeare quote from something. It just attributes it to William Shakespeare. I don't know what character yeah, it is. You know Willie Shakespeare. He was always around saying that shit about dudes. Ah, oh, Bill. What a guy. <laughs> That's Bill. Bill. Uh, yeah, so that's how I felt about Cinematic Pop. Also kind of how I feel about Scary Pockets this week. Those are the worst versions. Best version, Alex. Why? Best version. Why? Um, I think there were some strong versions, but for me, my favorite was Tori Amos. I was, I was just happy to hear, I think, after such a long time, a, like, good slow piano cover. Mm, and I just we haven't had refreshing. one in a while, so that was a bit refreshing. And it was very strong. And I liked, yeah, like we've talked about the textures. I think that is done very well uh, by her. And I thought it was a pretty good version. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a strong contender for me. Um, I think for me it comes down to like that one, Patty Smith, and like maybe Shaka Punk. But I think for me, just I'm always impressed with Patty Smith's work, and this is one that I think is so much in her like wheelhouse like thematically and i think her approach to it is unique it's not what i expected her to do instrumentally and it's a bold move to put your own poetry in and have it sort of click right i mean you're extending a five minute song to six and a half minutes and i'm still there for it which is very rare for me particularly on this show mm-hmm. um so yeah i gotta give it to patty smith again i think she's the fucking just queen of covers it man. was she good shit, shit out. it was good shit yeah, Tori Amos is fucking strong too. Uh, Alex, which one of these smells like Teen Spirit? Um. Uh, sometimes we say French people smell bad. I don't know why, but Shaka uh, <laughs> Punk's French, so we can apply deodorant to them, I guess. Fuck yeah! I was gonna say in terms of like what what Kurt Cobain thought Teen Spirit as well as they they started out all quiet, kind of bottled up, and then that just fucking that energy just cuts loose for yeah. four minutes. So it's the long. Muppets. Keeps growing. Yeah, it's the Muppets, baby. Uh, the Muppet Babies? <laughs> That's the Muppet Babies. Muppet uh, Baby Shop Quartet. Wild card. 
Didn't expect that. <laughs> That's a wild. No, Shaka Punk. Um, <laughs> that is our picks this week. Uh, if you have similar opinions, different opinions, or you want to talk about a cover we didn't mention, of which there are many, hit us up on Twitter. Hashtag CoverMePod, at Jake the Cressy, at some Alex Wise guy. Um, be sure to rate and review us. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever the fuck it is, Google Podcasts. <laughs> Favorite podcasting app. We're there. Tell your friends about us. Um, that's been our main segment. I got a bonus segment today, Ooh. and it's called, uh, Hey, Alex, you've been checking out any of these live streams that artists have been doing thanks to the quarantine? Sorry, say that again because you cut out. Hey, Alex. <laughs> that's what I thought you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, have you been checking out any of these live streams artists have been doing uh, thanks to like the quarantine? A lot of concerts and stuff have been canceled. No, I haven't um, seen anything. Oh, um, Frank Turner did one. You can oh, probably damn. see the video on his Facebook page. Probably. No, I, I um, haven't been following these at all. Um, I've been mostly, well, I'm still working from home. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been kind of focused on that, I guess. I don't That's know. That's fair. Um, the Homeless Gospel games. Choir is doing one like as we speak That's on Instagram. Exciting. I got to check one of some of these out. Damn. Yeah, keep, stay posted. That's that's why you got to stay up on Twitter, dude. Is just follow your favorite artists, and then they'll tell you when they're doing see shit. Cool stuff. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, yeah, so yeah, the answer to your question, no, no. Well, uh, no, that's a good bonus you. segment. Bonus segment. Probably... Have you been watching some? Yeah, I watched the All Frank the ones Turner you one. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. Does it just like the two hour mark for? Yeah, they just they do so they do like in house concerts basically, but with a camera and they perform. So it was Frank Turner and uh, uh, two other. It was Frank Turner's wife who opened, and then mm. uh, f- uh, another musician was in their house with them. Mike, uh, Mike Shinoda. Yeah, no, Mike Shinoda. Yeah, <laughs> Mike Shinoda. Uh, Mike Schnabel. And then, then Frank Turner, and they did that. And the, uh, just yesterday, he posted his uh, the live video of his 2000th show in 2016 on YouTube for the day, but it's off now. Um, lots of artists like Lizzo, I think Bonnie Vare, and uh, like John Legend have been doing live streams. Uh, yeah, so it's just been interesting to see this sort of how how the the entertainment industry and media around it have taken to using this time to sort of explore alternative means of live performance. Yeah, I'll have to check some of those out because I have just been not doing anything. Yeah, that's fair. Um, If y'all have seen some cool live streams or you know about some cool ones coming up, hit us up, you know, hashtag cover me pod, hashtag live streaming, baby. And yeah, talk to us. You got time. It's quarantines, baby. <laughs> have the quarantine of your life. <laughs> Um, that's been our show. You know, that's that's been the show. As we always say on Cover Me, um, here we are now. Cover Me.